Hello and welcome to a very special edition of the It's Not Orange podcast and we're delighted to welcome an incredibly popular man during his time at the Seasiders and our former skipper and no-nonsense midfielder Andy. How are you doing Andy Morrison? Good evening. Oh great. I'm glad you asked me on. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, very much so. It's a pleasure to have you on and thank you just for just accepting it with, with no real trouble. We, we really appreciate it. No problem. How was that? How was yesterday game uh, taking in the FA Cup action and a, a good result for Man City? Yeah, it was. It was. I was. Uh, I was there. I was working for City, um, and yeah, it was really comfy. Um, you know, it really was. It's very. The, the golf is huge now. Um, it's. You know, I will never say it's impossible, but you come. You come from a championship to play Manchester City, especially up the Etihad. It's going to be a really, really difficult. You know, the, the, like I say, the golf is huge. It was 84% possession yesterday, you know, so they're not even getting out of their defensive third, let alone getting to the halfway line. So it's a big, big ask for any team now to play these top teams. Yeah, well, Blackpool had 26% possession yesterday and we still had a two-goal lead. Obviously, the quality shone through, um, you know, with Gibbs-White goal was fantastic, but played some right football against them and it'll be a good game at Bloomfield Road for sure. Yeah, it's going to be a cracker. Um, and if the atmosphere is right and, you know, the football gods are shining, which you always need in football, then why not? Why not go and, you know, cause a major upset? Yeah, um, absolutely. Well, with no further ado, we'll, we'll continue. Um, Martin is uh, here, of course, um, everybody, uh, as he is every week. Um, but we'll, we'll start with uh, the start of your career. No better way to start. And um, you started your footballing career at Plymouth. Um, so tell the It's Not Orange listeners about... Um, you know, how that came about and how your football career started? Well, obviously, you know, I went to move to Plymouth when I was um, about nine years old. We moved from the north of Scotland to Plymouth and, um, you know, just started playing local football, school football. And then obviously had a bit of bit of talent and, you know, Plymouth schoolboys, Devon schoolboys, uh, ended up signing an apprenticeship or schoolboy forms with Plymouth. Joined in, you know, did my white, it was back at YTS scheme back then. And, um, you know, and then made my debut at 17 at Villa Park. Um, I can remember it like it was yesterday. Um, it was magical. You know, it was a special place for me and a special time because, you know, I, I, I watched Plymouth as a schoolboy all the way through. It was at all the big games. Um, and, you know, then to go on and play for them and, you know, and have a really successful period, um, which doesn't really get the recognition it deserves. You know, we had the in the lowest budget by a mile in the um, championship, and we stayed in there for two seasons um, under David Kemp. And then the club wanted to go in a different direction, and then um, Peter Shilton came in. You know, when it kind of lost the identity and the strength, I'd say probably better players were brought in, but not the um, the, the the quality of player that was needed to um, stay in the championship. So you know, we got relegated, and then you know. Um, sort of had a bit of a fallout with Peter Shilton and next thing you're on your way like but a great period in my in my career and something I was incredibly proud to play for you know I, I scored a goal against Ipswich at home park which kept us up that year so um yeah a real a real affinity with with Argyle and, and my time down there yeah do, do you feel if you kept sort of the previous regime and and the similar team despite the quality and potentially not being there you could have still have a chance of staying up because you've got 100%. that unity there 100% we had some really good players we had a kind of a golden generation of young players that came through the which may have been down to the fact that they didn't have the money to go and purchase players but Dan McCauley came in a new chairman um, and there was big investment and like listen we see it 
up to the modern day. When a new man comes in, he wants to make a statement. You know, we've seen what's just happened at um, Birmingham. You know, so you know, we still haven't really learned from the mistakes over the years. Um, and you know, the, the chairman thought bringing a big name and that would do it. But I believe with David Kemp, I believe if he had been given the money, the resources that um, um, that Peter Shilton had been given, I think we could have pushed for the the Premier League. I really do. Um, um, at that time, it was obviously wasn't the Premier League; it would have been the first division there. But um, I, I believe, you know, with David Kent was exceptional and, um, you know, with the right money and bringing players in with the way he understood the game. Similar to Sam, really, when we went off, when I went to, to Blackpool and understood the, you know, the fundamentals of football and the basics which win games of football. And Kempy was exceptional at that. Um, but, you know, it wasn't meant to be. Chairman wants to go in a different direction. And, uh, you know, when they, I think he'll admit now he got it horribly wrong. It's, it's, it's crazy in football because even Blackpool fans now, which we'll come on to talk about later in their current season, we, we, we talk about getting the fundamentals and the basics right and trying different things through the years. And I appreciate it wasn't 100 years ago when you're playing football, but when Blackpool fans are like screaming out just for a simple 4-4-2 and using players in their, in their strong positions and the manager is adamant to try something different, it's frustrating for the fans. But ultimately, you've got to abide by what the manager wants to do and he, he will face you know the, the successful... Or, or not when, when it comes to his decisions. But uh, it's, it, it hasn't changed at all, has it, across the years? And Birmingham is a perfect example. They're in sixth place with Eustace and they brought a big name in and it it, it, it it couldn't have gone worse. No, no. And again, you know, like I say, it's their money. Um, you know, people would say it's not their club. It belongs to the fans. I get that. But, you know, you're a successful businessman normally in a position to purchase a football club. You know, so you're going to be, you're going to back yourself. There'll be a lot of ego there that I know how business works, but football doesn't work that way. It never has done. It never will. There's so many variables. There's so many different things that can affect the outcome. Um, and it can't be like a business. You know, I think Alan Sugar famously said, you know, it's the only industry that you can't fathom out and come up with any logic how to be successful. Um, you know, because like I say, there's so many things that are out of your control, but, um, yeah, yeah. There was a, there's a lot to be said for brilliant, brilliant basics. Yeah, absolutely. Um, your your next club after that was Blackburn, although a very short period of time. It was one of the the greatest clubs in that era, obviously to to grace the the football league. And um, it was a short stint, wasn't it? But how was your time um, yeah, in and around that sort of? It was a strange one, you know, because um, Wolves, um, Luton, and Leeds. I'd all shown an interest and made um, approaches to, to Argyle. Um, but Blackburn at the time, you know, were the, you know, with Jack Walker, you know, they were the, the, the main, the club at that time who were, you know, trying to break into the United's, the Arsenal's, the Liverpool's. They were trying to, you know, break that mould, like, you know, of um, them successful clubs. Um, so they really were, you know, they were, they were the club, similar now you'll see clubs like you know we're trying to break in and and the, the financial backing was there you know from Jack Walker invested heavily in the club so it was a really forward club that were on the front foot and you know on the back of promotion and you know and then like Alan Shearer had come in and you know Chris Sutton came in later on some exceptional players um so that so when I when I knew they were interested and they'd agreed a fee with Plymouth it, it was just a no-brainer you know to go and play for Kenny Dalgleish at this football club you know, if I, my big regret really is going to a club injured 
um, in the sort of January of the the, the season that I went, the previous season, I had an operation on my knee, which was just a cartilage trim, and it was never right. I came back too soon. Um, you know, the science and the understanding of the injury wasn't the best at that point, and I thought I could get back in two or three weeks a simple little trim, but it was more than that. And I never really got it right. And I ended up going, getting through a medical, you know, in a bit of discomfort. Um, and, you know, it's easy in hindsight to say I should have waited and got fit. And then, but, so I never got a run. I was there literally two weeks. We went to um, Ireland on pre on a preseason tour. And um, I played, but the knee was sore. I came back, I played another game. Um, a friendly, and then I was in having an operation sort of two weeks later. So, and and it, because it was an ongoing problem, you know, it, it took the best part of three or four months to get back. So it wasn't November, December till I actually was back up and running and training. I then made my debut against Wimbledon, came on after three minutes, Kevin Moran um, pulled his hamstring. Uh, I came on, you know, I got man of the match. We won 3-0. You know, I had an unbelievable debut and played the following week. And then David May returned from injury and, you know, I was left out in the next game. And that was how it was. You know, it was Colin Hendry was there, Henning Berg, David May, um, Tony Gale, you know, Nicky Marker, um, Ian Pierce. There was just a catalogue. Patrick Anderson, who went to Barcelona from Blackburn. You know, the seven, eight centre-halves there that were. So it was the wrong decision career-wise. Um, and, you know, but it was it was Kenny Dalglish and, and um, you know, that was the attraction. And, you know, it didn't, it just didn't work out. You know, it's one of them things. And like I say, if I'd looked at it from a career point of view, if I'd looked at it from a, a an agent's advice or a mentor who had said, you do realise that there's these sort of world-class centre-halves that are way ahead of you. Um, you know, it's probably you're probably better going to maybe Leeds or Wolves at that time. You know, getting into the team and playing and developing from there. But you know, that wasn't my journey at the time, and it was a great, great time. The year I left and went to Blackpool, and um, they won the league. You know, so if I'd hung around, you never know. I might have might have got a few appearances on the bench. I might have nicked the Premier League medal. Um, but no, it wasn't meant to be. Great experience. Um, but you know, when Blackpool came knocking and where I was. With football, I just wanted to play football. At that point, I needed to get you know back on the pitch, and and it was the perfect timing for me. It brings me to my question, really. Um, the move to Blackpool um, for us that was a massive fee. I mean, we were spending money by our standards like it was going out of fashion, and you went for two two forty five. I think it was was the was the actual official figure. But but when you when you got there. Um, the club, as I say, had recruited quite a few players, people like yourself and David Linnigan, Andy Priest, or that he came later, didn't he? But Tony Ellis, one or two yeah. others. Did you feel that was a club, even though we were in, in what's now League One with a very ramshackled, knackered old stadium, but we, we were going for it. Is it? Was it the ambition that kind of attracted you to go to that club? Do you know what? I'll, I'll be honest. It was it was never about that. Um, it was about playing football. Do you know, I wasn't... I wasn't... Tr- tr- strategically inclined football-wise, career thinking, this is the path, this is, it was just, I was on the way to Swindon um, to sign for them, Steve McMahon, funnily enough. Mm-hmm. And um, I got a phone call when I got to, I think I got to just short of um, the M6 services there, 
I'm not sure which ones are called on the on the M6 just before you get to Birmingham. And I got a phone call just saying, like, you know, turn around. We've agreed a fee with Blackpool, and they're happy. The club are happy with it and everything. So I literally, I rang because I was already going on to Swindon, um, turned around, went up, met um, Billy Bingham, met Sam Allardyce. Can't remember where it was, a hotel in Blackpool. Um, you'll have to remind me of the um, the secretary at the time. Oh, Jill Ridge? Yes. Um, so we met, and it, honestly, it wasn't a hard sell. It really wasn't. You know, it was like, you know, the fact that I was wanted, the fact that um, they'd shown an interest, and, you know, that was enough for me at that point. You know, um, I, I realised that the path getting into um, Blackburn was just dead because there were so many people ahead of me. And probably at that point, you know, maybe not ready to play at that level. Um, you know, so stepping down, coming into, you know, Sam, you know, I can't say Sam was an attraction. I, I, I can't, you know, because obviously it was his first job. So maybe five or six jobs down the line, you'd say playing for Sam Allardyce. Yeah, but at that point, it was his first job. He was bags of enthusiasm, had an idea how he wanted me to play. You know, it was kind of like I played at Plymouth, sitting midfield, you know, sitting in a three, you know, but then I, mean, I played at Plymouth in a two, you know, four four two. But Sam was already thinking about a four three three formation. Um, it was me sitting and allowing. I think Mickey Mellon came in just after me, which had, who had great legs. Mark Bonner, you know, these two were to break into the box, and I was the security, you know, to be able to break play up. And it was a great idea. Um, but again, like I say, I didn't need to be sold it. I just wanted to play football. Um, and then straight away, I scored on my debut, and um, which I did at a few clubs. And, you know, the rapport was immediate with the fans. It's a great answer, though, to say that you just wanted to play football. I mean, I think I think probably, I don't know if you agree or not, but I think too many footballers probably think too deeply about it and don't just think about coming to play football. But you were there just to play games. You wanted to play games. You're obviously having a frustrating time at Blackburn and just wanted to wanted to play, which is a really refreshing, it's refreshing to hear that from a footballer. I don't think you get yeah. quite as much of that these days. No, maybe not. Maybe not. They know with agents and you know, mentors and life coaches that they have, you know, giving them guidance. And I get that, you know, and I manage now, I've been, I've managed, you know, I'm managing at a different level now. Um, but, you know, I do, I understand that, you know, you've got, you've got to get guidance and the world has changed, you know, and we'll talk about that further on. You know, I had, mm. I have three jabs in a, in a broken foot to play in the final, like, you know, um, in the playoff final. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not telling any player now to ever do what, you know, but we didn't know at that time. You know, I literally came into the ground on crutches, had three injections in my foot, which just killed my foot, went and played the game. And then like an hour later, you know, the foot's three times the size and, you know, you just got on with it, you know, because you you didn't think about the consequences or we didn't have the, you know, the sports science or the education that we have today about having injections in your knees and, you know, everywhere just to get into and play a game of football. You know, it was, um, I don't think we were that important as players then, you know, uh, and football was, it was all about playing football, just getting out onto the pitch and, you know, you were judged if you didn't go out. You were thought less of, you know, if you said, no, I want, you know, I'm thinking about my career here long term. You know, I don't want to have that injection or I'm not having that quarter zone to get through this game. You know, like I say, it's changed and it, you know, that's how it was at that time. And um like I say, nowadays I would understand any player who said no, you know, because I've got a, you know, I've got to, I've got a life after football, you know, which uh, a lot of footballers around my age now, you know, with hip replacements, knee replacements, 
um, chronic injuries, arthritis. You know, it's uh, we didn't know at that point. It's just the evolution, isn't it? Things have changed and things are so much better nowadays. And we look after players as they, as um, as assets, don't we? Rather than just treating them as, uh, I don't know, just get on with it, like you say. But in those days, we didn't, yeah. you guys didn't know think, any different, did you? Like a lot of walks yeah, of life. I think, I think nowadays, I'd say it's safer. I wouldn't necessarily say it's better, but it's certainly mm. safer. It's a safer world, but I'm not so sure it's better. Did, did you... Um... Did you know at the time, well, it sounds like a stupid question really, but did you know at the time that what you're doing was wrong and would have long-term damage to it? Or was yeah. you same as same as the manager and you're like, I need to go and play football for Blackpool? Yeah, you, you, you did, you know. I mean, you know, we'd know, you didn't know at that time. Like, you know, it was everyone done it. The players that came before me, don't forget the lad who played, what was he called, Briggs? Was it centre-half? Gary Briggs? Yeah. yeah absolutely, yeah. You know what I mean? He he had to play with twenty five stitches in his forehead. It wouldn't have bothered. It was just the norm back at that point. You know, to play football injured and just get on with it. You know, and literally the you know a hamstring, a hamstring or a a pull groin was more of a trouble than playing with something with pain because you couldn't you know you yeah. couldn't run. Your hamstring's gone. So that would can't stop. Hide it, can you? Yeah. That would you. You can't get through that. But to get through the pain. You know, I know it sounds crazy, but we just jab it. Stick a mm-hmm. stick a stick a jab in your ankle. Stick it in your foot. Stick it in your knee. Just play football. So obviously, you talked about just wanting to go to Blackpool and play football, but inevitably, at some point down the line, when you when you met Sam and you met, as I say, Jillbridge, you. <laughs> what what we're interested to know is because we're all we can ask this question now because they've gone, but the the owner and the owners and, and the setup at that time, what did you think of it? Very flamboyant owner, chucking his cash around, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, at that point, the relationship with the fans was all right. But for you as a player, what was it like? Well, it, the, the first meeting was very strange. It didn't last very long at all because it was like, well, I can't sign for that. You know, the way the, the contract was set up. You know, we can talk about that now. You know, they wanted, wanted me to sign for a couple of hundred quid and, um, and the rest of it in a huge signing-on fee. You know, which basically at the end of the contract means that you stay on 200 quid. And I'm like, you know, um, without an agent or without any sort of guidance, I was like, well, I don't think that's going to work. So they actually changed the, um, the, 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 the structure of the club or wherever they, wherever they said they were changing it for me, you know, might have been a, a great little ploy to make me think that was special. But, you know, they said we are going to change the dynamics, we're going to change the structure and the way the, the wages are paid. Um, and then I think from then on it did change. You know, when you're trying to attract players that were coming from a higher level, you know, Priestley came in after me, and they're they're not going to sign for that kind of contract. Um, you know, which was great in the summer. You get a you know a big load of money, but back then before the Bosman came in, you know, you were actually attached to a club. Um, and I know there was a few players that came to the end of their contracts, and I knew there was problems. They had problems around that. You know, where players were were refusing to re-sign the deals and basically happy to stay at home. Um, but you know it was all sorted out eventually. Um, but you know once we'd, we once that was done, um, you know I'd agreed what was left at kind of Blackburn, which played another big part in it. You know, um, you know I had a couple of years of money left to come at Blackburn, which were my sign-on fees. They they paid me that, um, and um, and that played a part in me being able to come. And then it was just about you know I, I took, I wouldn't say significant, but I took you know a, a, a quite a big pay cut to come to play for Blackpool, but was funded a little bit by what 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 um, Blackburn gave me to come. But like I say, do you know, it was just about playing football. 
and getting out of the pitch and the you know the training ground and the the gymnasium and everything felt like home. It just felt like I'd arrived again, you know, somewhere there, you know, where the, it was just it was just back to basics, like you know, and and everything was trying to be built. And I'm, you know, you look at where the club is now with the stadium, and you know what I will say at that point was I was taken into a room and shown this stadium that was going to be built and this vision that they had. Um, and it was very, very impressive and everything sounded right. But, you know, lads, honestly, I couldn't give a hoot. I couldn't care less <laughs> where they were playing football, you know, just wanting to get, get on the pitch and, and win games of football again and get back to, you know, that feeling of uh, there's nothing, nothing replaces you know, obviously you want to win, but even if you lose a game of football, if you play on a Saturday, your Saturday evening, your Sunday, everything's different in life when you're a footballer, when you're actually playing. And you're sat on the bench or you're not involved, you know, especially at that age. Well, maybe when you get older, you know, when you get to 30, 31 and you're getting paid good money, then maybe, you know, but at my age then, 24, 25, I just want to be on a pitch. Sure. We uh, we before we came on the pod, we um, we talked about the the stadium because obviously Tom's Tom's a young puppy, doesn't remember. But I I, I in fact you and I have actually met because I came down to the training ground when I was on work experience for Radio Wave and I met Big Sam and I met Phil Brown and you said hello to me. But anyway, um, that stadium <laughs> there was a grandiose plan on it. It was going to have a floating roof and a retractable pitch or God knows what else at Windyke yeah. Farm just off the motorway and it was it was all bells and whistles and it was all smoke and mirrors I think but as a, again as a football that that's something the shiny things are for the football fans to enjoy aren't they not for players the players just get on with it because obviously the stadium wasn't a massive attraction because you wouldn't have come to Blackpool if it was because it was a grotto wasn't it <laughs> Bluefield it had character, but it was a dreadful was, place really <laughs> yeah it was but you know there was incredible history yeah and, 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 when, and, and listen when that stadium was full which it didn't take a lot the atmosphere was incredible. You know, it, yeah. I think health and safety, you would never be able to, you know, the, the fans behind the goal, um, you know, you wouldn't get that nowadays. You wouldn't be able to be, but the energy in there when you scored, you know, when the whole place, they're talking about limbs nowadays, don't they? And that just used to go up. I actually saw a video this week, um, I don't know if you saw, when they played Manchester City. Is it the 2-2? The 2-1, whatever it is. Yeah. Not absolutely incredible. It actually, it's, it's one of the worst, one of the worst goals I think I've seen. The Blackpool yeah. goal, which but the limbs afterwards, like you say, is it, it puts these ones to shame. What, when you're at Blackburn and you're every weekend, you're just in the stand or whatever, just watching football, and you're watching football, and you know, and then you go and you're in amongst all that. You know, again, that's that's what it's about. Um, yeah. and it was, although the stadium was run down, and it was, you know, it probably a. Probably a health hazard at that time with the amount of wood that was in there, like you know, and um, but the atmosphere you know that, that it generated was incredible. Um, yeah, so I think we yeah. miss it so as the stadium, yeah. I think you do, Main Road. I mean, all Man City fans they just talk about Main Road, they got a, an incredible mm. stadium now. You know, the Etihad is phenomenal, and, and what's been done there and the investment. But there's something about them all. But you know, that's a generational thing, isn't it? You know, in it's, thirty it's years. It's also modern football, though, isn't it? Because I've been sporting, went my first game in like ninety five, ninety six, I believe. Don't mean to make you feel too old, but um, I, I only, I'm from Ipswich originally, and and um, I live in I live in Colchester now. Still, still many a mile away. 
But the reason I support Blackpool is because my dad used to bring me to games. And I, I, since I was 18, I've gone to games by myself. I've gone with him on the odd occasion. And the fans are the only thing really that attracted me and kept me supporting Blackpool when, you know, Portman Road is only five minutes down the road. But the fans mm-hmm. were outstanding throughout the years and they, and, and they still are, of, of course, like home and away. So um, that's a big part of why I support Blackpool. And, and, and up north, there's so much, I don't know, so much love and admiration for, for football in general as well, isn't there? Yeah. Yep, it is. It is. And going back to the question, original question about the about the owner, you know, and the, it was, you know what, it was a surreal time. You know, it was just this flamboyant character with this big, you know, sort of cowboy hat on. And it was very, very strange. Um, but, you know, I think we were protected from that a little bit. We didn't see too much of it. Um, but you always knew there was somebody in the background who kind of was the owner. Uh, chairman, whatever, but we didn't really mix. We didn't really get to see him, you know, match days or whatever. There was was always Billy Bingham, look, who we dealt with, and obviously Jill. But, you know, that mm. was just uh, it popped around every now and again. I think we actually went on one day where we went on to his um, sort of farm or estate where we did this sort of go-karting thing with these big drive buses things and all his land and everything, and we met him, and it was it was all very strange. Um, yeah. Just, I wanted to mention about Billy Bingham because I, I, a lot of people forget that he was there and he was the director of football. Um, how how mm-hmm. did you see his role? How did you get on well with Billy Bingham? Because he was a bit of a, uh, I, again, w- director of football. It was quite a new role then. Now nowadays it's commonplace, but it was new then. I think a lot of fans were very suspicious about what that job really was. But yeah. I think it was kind of like was it an advisor role? Do you know, you 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 director of football, technical director. I don't know what it is. But, um, you know, at that point, it was, you know, some, you know, it was, like I say, Sam's first job, you know, in the English system. I think he was in Ireland before that, um, or maybe America with a, a short part, you know, but this was his first. So that was a bit of guidance there. I think it was somebody with the chairman would, you know, he, he spoke to a lot of players. He did the deal with me. He spoke to me um, and approached me, you know, and I sat down with them and he talked all, you know, Sam just talked football. He talked contract-wise. He talked about the club, where it wanted to go. So, um, yeah, he, he was playing a big big part at that time. I know he had a big part in, in uh, Mickey Mellon and Preecy coming in. You know, I think he was the main part in them deals. Obviously, Sam has, you know, has um, scouted the player and said, you know, this is I'd like to bring him in. But I think then it was handed over to, to Billy Bingham. So, yeah, there would have been a significant role he would have played in, you know, in a lot of the, the, the recruitment at that time. So the following season of the the first season you signed was ninety four ninety five and that was a sort of consolidation really I guess for the club a lot of new players we finished I think halfway up and then ninety five ninety six is the one where Blackpool fans will remember it for many reasons uh, mm-hmm. not all of them good towards the end admittedly but um, any memorable games from that I mean obviously the playoffs are the obvious thing to talk about unfortunately but but the run-up to that I mean Blackpool were fantastic weren't they for the vast majority of the season you you you're, you you guys were absolutely superb yeah we did you know we we I think you know we had some really good players and some young players as well um so James Quinn James, James Quinn was brilliant, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 I and mean, obviously Tony Ellis, and then Preci, Mickey, Mark Bonner, and myself. There was some experience in there as well. Marvin Bryant came in. I think you know what, right back, which was phenomenal. Was like, you know, it was a modern day sort of, you know, the, what the fullbacks didn't do at that mm. point what he actually did. You know, he, he was relentless runner. 
wasn't you know wasn't the greatest defender, but his attacking prowess was incredible, and um, which was a new thing. And we had, I think, Andy Barlow on the left, yeah. um, and then Bradshaw and Linnigan with the centre halves, and then there was Jason yeah. Lydia as well. So we really had a strong squad of players, and um, and a lot of things were right, you know. Um, like I say, it the way it petered out at the end was was disappointing, but it was a great run. I think we had a, a win away at Carlisle um, around Christmas time. I'm not sure if it was at two yeah. 0 and you know we filled the we filled the full end, you know, and there was thousands of Blackpool fans there, and obviously winning the game, and then afterwards we were all dancing on the pitch with it with the, with the fans, and it was a that was one that sticks out from my mind because it was like the following was incredible. I know kind of a derby, um, but you know, the, the turnout from, from Blackpool was phenomenal. And, um, and I'd say that was a really good day because it was like, there's a bit of momentum here. There's a feel good factor. The fans are buying into it. We're winning games of football and, you know, Sam's doing things at that point, which were probably forward thinking um, you know, as in the sports science and the nutrition, we had fitness people coming in, which was all kind of new um, in that period. You know, the ice baths and all that, which I didn't like. Um, and then we had these nutrition drinks, which were horrendous, that Sam used to force us to drink, which I used to pour away um, without anyone knowing. But Sam used to say, if you don't drink it as a captain, the rest of them won't drink it. So I used to pretend I was trying and just pour it. It was disgusting. <laughs> powdery kind of, yeah. It was one of them. And then the ice baths as well, which we, he was big on. Um, you know, and I think that was the beginning um, for him because I, I know from there onwards, he was always seemed to be a step ahead further in his career of the, you know, the latest trends or whatever. You know, he um, was mm. always really forward thinking in his science side of things. It's interesting. So it's interesting because um, Wenger at Arsenal, sort of when he came in, he was renowned for doing things like that. And the players were like, who's this guy? And you've heard Ray Parler talk about things like um, they were meeting to go down the pub. Then they they all went to bed at eight o'clock, obviously, when he started coming in. And um, I've heard about Big Sam in the past. Is why I wanted to sort of yeah. ask, ask you about him, really, because as, as you've already alluded to, he was he was known for changing a lot of stuff at Blackpool and and moving forward, obviously, he had an incredible career, especially at Bolton, etc. But I wanted to talk to you about Big Sam because I suppose as a player, he was your manager, so you probably didn't think about it at the time. But in hindsight, did you did you think he was going to go on to have sort of a career he was? Did he give you – was he that sort of character at the club? So, obviously, trying different formations and stuff like that. An interesting that. question. Now, now, where I'm at to my understanding of football, and I look back, I say, yeah, of course it makes sense. But at that time, it wasn't like – you know, oh, this is this manager's way ahead thinking. Like you know, that you you it, it wasn't it wasn't like that. You know, I enjoyed playing for him, um, but I wasn't like you know, this is a visionary. This is somebody who's reinventing football. But now, when I look back now, I can understand where the success came from. And um, you know, it's Sam went um, with a with a with a one you know the four four three three with a holding um, you know like a six modern day six with two eights. Um, you know, so stepping away from, you know, your two midfielders. Um, and he would change it in game as well. He would change it to a three, um, you know, to get two up the pitch. Um, you know, whether he whether it was Preci and Tony Ellis or Quinney, you know, he was always thinking that was another lad who was well who was very talented. Um, Andy Watson. Do you remember the striker? Yeah, he was incredibly talented in a different way, the way he could bring people into play. And um, so yeah, there was a mix there, but 
you know, so, you know that grew from there. You know, Sam went then on to in Bolton, you know, and then obviously Mourinho came in and started playing with a six. Like, you know, I was thinking Sam was doing that six, seven years before. And everybody thinks Mourinho was the beginning of that. It wasn't. You know, Sam was doing a campo at um, at um, yeah. Bolton. You know, in that role, we said like, give great freedom to the other two midfielders to break. You know, but a lot of detail in in out of possession. You know, when our set plays were always very, very good. We were always dangerous. Um, yeah, it was uh, JJ, one of the most talented footballers in the world, had a lot to say about. Sam as well and his influence he had on him and how he sort of grew and nurtured him as well made him really love football as well so what what I appreciate again at the time it was it was like his first job I think he described you as like an in-your-face centre-back um, and a complete nutter he said at times yeah, um, yeah. what yeah. sort of influence did he have on you despite obviously just being your manager like what how did he make you did he make you fall in love with football a little bit more or did he teach you new things that you didn't know previously um I just said, you know, I, I, I think every manager that I played for and every manager who's ever written a book, whether it's Joe, Sam, um, Peter Shilton, are always going to talk in a similar way. You know, I, I, I respected everyone, but there's nobody that really had that kind of influence on me. You know, I did things the way I did them. I played the way I played. Um, I went about my football and my life. You know, so I was... It wasn't selfish, but, you know, I, it, back in them days, you kind of like knew who you were playing against. You knew the striker or you knew the midfielder was. And my only objective was to dominate and beat him up and, and run all over him, you know. And then I think that's me doing my job. Um, and then if everybody else is. So I, I'd never, I kind of like, you know, I, I had an incredible rapport with, with Blackpool. And I, you know, I got into the Hall of Fame, which I'm mean, one of my proudest things on my CV. Um, at Manchester City, at Plymouth, everywhere I played, like, you know, of course you go out and play for the fans in the football club, but that wasn't the most important thing. It, for me, it was just winning and dominating somebody in front of me. And the byproduct of that was fans can see somebody who's given everything they've got you know, whether I was training, whether I was playing, whether it was the first minute, the last minute, whether it was a wet Tuesday, I am all in and you're getting everything from me. And and that's not something that I could turn on because, oh, I like these fans or I like that manager or this is a really, you know, these, this club looked after me. So I'm like, no, it was never that. Do you know, I just want to go to war every time I play football and I want to win, you know, and an unbelievable desire to win. And I just think, that's what fans relate to and that's what people want to see. You know, they want to see people who, who wear their heart on their sleeve and, you know, and give everything they've got, you know, and they will accept, you know, if you're slightly, if you're not talented, but I was talented. I could play football. You know, I realised that today and a lot of people who managed and played with me will always say, you know, well, it was always Andy, you know, you'll kick and fight and you'll scrap everything. But, you know, I think it's acknowledged now that I could play football as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it, there was a lot of characters like that at Blackpool at the time. You mentioned Briggsy and, and and a few others, and that's what made the team such a unit, I suppose. Um, the the question on, on, the, on the end of everybody's sort of tongue, really, is the feeling and emotion after the, the, the disappointment that was, um, you know, Bradford in the playoffs, obviously in, in cruise control somewhat, and a few, few mm -hmm. decisions in terms of the team came about, and it was a dark, a dark game in in Blackpool's history. So, what what was the overriding emotion after the game? It's probably a pretty obvious question. But yeah. how, how did the squad feel? 
we could we could probably spend two hours talking about you know the build into that game, that game, the aftermath of it, and the way things went. It was. I don't think it could ever be repeated. As in, it was almost like a. It was almost like a nightmare that you woke up from that just happened without anyone being aware that it was going on. And it was kind of like the referee blows the whistle at the end and it's like, no, nah, somebody pinches, this can't have happened. You know, and, and then the way it went after that, you know, we're 2-0 up. And, you know, one of, my, one of my biggest lessons in life was the way we taunted them at their place, um, you know, which was unacceptable. It was unprofessional. We were so far ahead of ourselves. We hadn't lost at home. We hadn't conceded more than one goal at home. I think it was about three games where we conceded two. We were phenomenal at home. We were, it, you know, it was a fortress. So we're 2 nil up. We're going there. We're going to beat them 2 or 3 nil, And we're on our way to Wembley. Um, and the lead up to it, you know, like I say, the life lessons that came from that as me as a coach, then into management. And, and not just that, also in life, the things that I took from that experience um, where, you, you know, we just got so far ahead of ourselves. Everyone, you know, it was, especially the way we played because 2-0 wasn't a fair reflection. We battered them. We ran all over them in every area. You know, we missed chances. The keeper was man of the match for them. So for us to be able to see and then to bring us back down, and I guess that was a learning curve for Sam as well, you know, not to clip our wings at that time. And you know, we were banging on the doors and we were banging on the walls. And I know, now the impact that that has and the monster that it creates in the opposition when you do that football never forgets and it comes back to haunt you and and it did and like i'm saying that you know the following day you kind of wake up in the morning and you're like that 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 can't have happened that you know it must be the game must be tonight that can't have happened the way it went um and it and it was and 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 you know it was I never really got a chance to make amends. I never got a chance to speak with the fans. I never, you know, I was the captain of the club and just very quickly, you know, I got a phone call and I'm, I'm literally gone a few days later um, without a chance to sort of, you know, to go to the fans and speak to the fans. And, 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 I, and I know the, um, the connection and the relationship I had with the, the fans at that time. Um, and it was just, again, it was surreal. It was just a phone call. We've accepted a bid for you, you know, and it was good business, fantastic business for, for Blackpool. And I was there for two years. Can't remember what I earned, maybe 50 grand a year. Um, so two years, 100 grand, they paid 240, 340. So they got me for two years for nothing and 170 grand in the bank. So it's great business in that sense. But it was just wrong. And, you know, if I, if I had my time again, I would have waited longer, you know. But the decision was made for me. You know, I, you know, I was. It was they'd they'd agreed a fee that matched what Blackpool had wanted. Um, the contract that was offered from Huddersfield was was much better than I was on at Blackpool, and I was literally told, you know, we've agreed this now. There's that's it. Go and speak to them. Get the deal done. You're off. Um, and that was Jill Bridge with that conversation. You know, it wasn't. And I was like, well, if I'm not wanted, I don't think it was that I wanted. I think Gary Megson came in. You know, and they needed to be able to give him some funds to go and buy players or, you know. Um, I remember him funny in another little story, Mickey Mellon ringing me about two days after they signed Gary Brabham and just saying, listen, we bought this lad. He's bigger than you. <laughs> He's got a bigger head than yours. 
<laughs> and I was like, who could this be? There's no, there's nobody playing football who's bigger than me in that sense. Um, and that was it. You know, they they brought Gary in. Um, it gave the manager some some funds. And I don't even think Megson was said, do you want to keep Andy Moore? I don't think it was that. It was, you know, great chance to get some money into the coffers. You know, it's the summer. Sam's just been sacked. Um, he's gone. I had a conversation with Sam, which was, again, was a really tough one. You know, because Sam at that point was like, where do I go from here? You know, where does my career go? Um, and, you know, and I'm off on a, another big move, half a million pound move to Huddersfield. And, it, and like I say, it happened very quickly. I never, I didn't get a chance to go back. I never got a chance to go and speak with the fans. I never, you know, it was just like, it's done, move on and, and off you go. But it was a really tough time for me because like I say, I, I never really got a chance to thank the fans. I never got a chance to apologise to them. Um, not that I needed to apologise, you know. I, I see that a lot now on social media and players, and I'm just like, I ain't apologising to no one because I know I was all in. I knew I gave everything I had on every game. I apologise for the outcome, but never, I'd never apologise for my performance because whether it was wrong, whether it was good, whether it was bad and different, it was everything I had in any game. You're getting everything from me, so you know. I always find it a little bit. Like I say, apologetic, and you know, when I see players and people coming out and managers, apolog- managers apologize now all the time to the fans. I'm like, well, if your preparation was right in the week and you did everything right and every detail was covered, why would you feel the need to apologize? But anyway, that's another conversation. Yeah, you reminded me of um, when you talked about the game um, at Bradford the first time around. Um, I don't know if you're aware, but Blackpool played obviously non Forest and the players before they went up and. Billy Davis kind of said, we'll have you now because that we, we only beat them um, at our place, didn't we, 2-1? Um, and they said, we'll have you back at the Forest Ground. And I remember it was Gary Taylor-Fletcher who said it too. I mean, that just created a monster at, um, yeah. at, um, at Forest. And we went on that night, in my opinion, a better night than actually getting promoted in, in winning at Forest. They only lost two that season, a bit like you said, at Bloomfield Road. And that was both to Blackpool in the league and then Blackpool in the playoffs. And that was a surreal moment for their fans. But like you say, that had a massive impact on the squad and Holloway wanted to go there and show them exactly what they're all about. And that's probably similar to what yeah. to what Bradford did. But um, you said you didn't really have anything to say to the fans. Of course, you don't need to apologise. Like you said, you were, you were all in and you gave everything for Blackpool. But is there anything you would say to Blackpool fans now about that situation or, or, or has the time passed now? Well, lots of time. Time moves on, and it was a tough. It really was a tough period. There's a lot of unsavoury things that were said afterwards. Um, you know, whether it was on the press, we didn't have social media back then. You know, and, and stuff creeps up and all that, and it's just, just utter nonsense, utter nonsense. You know, um, I know that group of players. I know that staff. I know that everyone was. It was just a. I think there'd be so many people. Whether it was Phil Brown, whether it was Sam, myself, all the players. You know, Mickey. Everyone who's going into management will say one of the biggest learning curves that they ever had in their future life and their future football was that experience that we experienced. And sadly, it was a bad experience for the football club and the fans, you know, but I'm sure every single one of us will, will look back and go, what, you know, how did we get that so wrong? Um, as players, as staff, as management, as a club, you know, I think there was stuff in relation to talking about going to Wembley, you know, before the second leg. I don't know if there was any truth in that. But somebody said something about in the program. I can't remember seeing that. It was. But, you know, the, do you know? Yeah, like, we, wow. it was all in the program, Andy. All the, the directions and and the the ticket details and all the rest of it. And oh. and because Jeff Warburton, the commercial manager, was 
was uh, a very confident guy, and he it wasn't the first time he'd done it. I don't think, and he and he did it because he was convinced, like everybody else, we were going to go and and do him in the say in the second leg and go to Wembley. Yeah, well, I bet I just say that, but I bet he never did that again in his football career. No. So, you know, it was every facet of Blackpool learned, you know, a lesson from that period, um, and that, and not just that period, that game, and the way we dealt with it. You know, we got it horribly wrong, every one of us. You know, when I guess the, like I say, I was, I was, I was literally gone within days after the game, um, like I say, and, and then everything moves on. You know, sure. history. I'm hoping you saw the admiration um, and and you know the replies on social media because everyone I've spoken to since I've said you kindly accepted this interview was only but positive things. Um, Andy, so like uh, you know, I think the the memories they've got of you is exactly what you've said. You've gave everything for the club and you fought for the shirt. And you know, we dream of players like you today in terms of what they gave the club. So there was there's no malice there, of course. And hopefully you saw that in the replies. Everybody loved you. So it, it, you know, it's still positive thoughts about you. And I think you were one of the main sort of memories of the, of that team. And you're one of the most talked about players from that time as well. So it's an every credit to yourself. Mm-hmm. Like I said, like I said earlier on, you know, you talk Stanley Matthews, Jimmy Armfield, these players that are, you know, legends of the club, and I and I get mentioned in the same sentence. Um, you know, when I played just short sixty games for the club, but yeah. I'm saying every single game I played for that football club, every, they mm-hmm. got everything from me, um, and you know, I, I'm incredibly proud, and I always mention it. You know, back to back promotions at Manchester City as a captain there. You know, but one of the my badge of honours is, you know, was being in the Hall of Fame at, at Blackpool because I know I deserve to be there for what I did and how I, you know, and what I gave to the club. The same as what I gave to Plymouth, same as what I gave to Huddersfield, and the same as what I did at City. You know, and uh, I'm very, very proud of that. Well, as, as a fan that was around at that time, I was I was 19, 20 during that time, and in one of the things that 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 game taught me was never to be complacent as a football fan either. Just it just because you tune a look. Two nil up to dangerous scoreline, although, like you say, you know, it possibly shouldn't have been, but it's the way it is. But you did give your all, and it was a fantastic team. I love that team. You know, I still look back on it with a lot of fondness. I think a lot of Blackpool fans do because it was so good. You know, we were so so good for so long, weren't we? And it just ran out of steam in the end. But another couple of wins, and we'd have gone up automatically, wouldn't we? Yeah, yeah, that was one of the sad facts as well. But we went in with momentum, and um, and mm. you know, and of course, with the game going so well in the first game you just thought we're off to Wembley we're going to get promoted because this is what this group of players are destined to do and it sure. really felt that way um, but you know like I say it's history isn't it it is it is but so moving on I mean who do you keep in touch with at Blackpool and also I was going to just ask you your thoughts about you know you'll have looked on from afar at the way that club you know under the the Oysters slowly disintegrated and ended up being an absolute shambles and, and it led to a the biggest probably the biggest boycott of a football club this country's ever seen I would say I think I'm quite proud to say that we all are as fans so first of all who do you keep in touch with now and and and, and how do you see or how did you see the sort of demise of that regime and what was going on at the club yeah well look I'm, I'm ships of the night footballers we really are you know we we move on you know, I, I did. I, I keep in touch with about ten lads who I did my apprenticeship with at Plymouth when I was sixteen, seventeen. You know, there, there's always a, you'll be the same. The people you started your first jobs with, you'll keep in touch. But then other people as you go through your career. But I've always stayed in touch with Andy Priest. You know, we worked together for long periods. 
um, when when we both retired. You know, I went to Bury with him for a period. Um, Worcester, you know, um, Northwich. Um, you know, so we've you know, I'm godparent to his to his boys, and he is to my son. You know, so we've always been really close. We've always um, stayed in touch. And listen, I, I had great banter with him two days ago, just ripping the mick out of each other, like you know, over football and life. And so, you know, but there's other, you know, I, I've, I've been in the company of Mickey on many occasions. Um, Darren Bradshaw, I keep in touch with. And um, just at Christmas, you'll get a message or whatever. Um, but nothing really, you know. Mm. Sam, I see Sam occasionally. I've been round to his house in COVID, you know, um, and sat in the garden with him. And I just chat with him for a couple of hours. Um, but like I say, everything, you know, everything moves on. Um, but... The um, yeah, you know it's it's mainly Preci is the one that I'm uh, you know still close to. Sure. Are you pleased now to see? Uh, I appreciate that you know you've been very very busy man since you left Blackpool. But if you look at Blackpool now as a club, there's obviously a lot more stability there. Brand new owner, yeah. things are very very different. You must be pleased to see that Blackpool are a normal club again because we certainly weren't a normal club for for, for a long period of time. No, it, it, it like I say, it was a progressive club when I joined. It really was a club on the front foot with a vision uh, and, a, and a fantastic energy about the place, you know. And I think the fans played a huge part in that. You know, the, a, I think everyone, I think football is unique. I really do. You know, and I, and I think of the clubs I played for, and I just think of the way the Blackburn fans were and the way the Huddersfield fans were mm. with them. I just think football fans in general are bonkers with their <laughs> with their their passion and their loyalty, you know, to their football club. You know, I, I played for Plymouth and I was a kind of an Argyle fan, but I've never really nailed my colours to a mast and said, you mm. know, this is the club I follow. There's results that I always have on my live scores that pop up. Blackpool's one of them. But fans, you know, they're... And Blackpool fans were no different, like I say. So to see the, the way the, the, the club went and the way it got fractured and, you know, it was it was a sad watch at that time. and But... The thing was, they still seemed to stay afloat and they still seemed to be going forward. And there were still moments of, um, there were still moments of progress, you know. And then, you know, you look at the the period around Ian Holloway and um, an incredible time, you know, for the football club, Um, you know. And then the promotion, you know, into the Premier League. And then, I I don't know the, the inner... Sank. I don't know what went behind the scenes at that time. I'm not privy to it. I'm not sure any of us really are. I'm sure you'll have a better idea than me. But a lot went wrong, um, and then it just became it became quite toxic, didn't it? Um, it did. It did. Yeah. There's a great book you can read about that. We should send it. You. <laughs> yeah, do. Do. yeah. I've got that book. I can send it to you. No problem. We got a brilliant um, book. We're going to keep you for a few, just about five more minutes or so, mate. Just to, just to wrap up, but um, just although not about Blackpool, but just talk to us about your time either at Huddersfield or Man City, obviously um, watching EFL football through the years and, and looking back at history there, obviously you were involved in one of the greatest games ever with that playoff final against Gillingham, which Gillingham fans won't want to hear about, but Man City fans will constantly talk about because there's a big change in, in, in City's history, wasn't it? So mm-hmm. just talk to us for a few minutes about your time um, at both those clubs and, and what well, it Well, Huddersfield, obviously I went in. Um, and within two weeks, Brian Horton made me the captain um, and scored on my debut again, like I did for Blackpool. Had an f- incredible rapport with the fans, you know. And the people say, you know, you know, what did you do? 
and you you lads know what I did. I've where I spoke about it tonight. I went and played football and went to war for that football club. Um and had a great time there again, but I still struggle with my with my knee. You know, I had another three or four. I, I ended up with sixteen operations on my left knee throughout wow. my career, you know, and um and that's what finished me at Blackpool. Um and had a great, you know, we 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 had a season where Brian Horton got the sack and um we were like eighteen points adrift. You know, and it was the great escape. There was a video made about it. It was an incredible journey. And, you know, again, that was an energy that was created at the club. And it was it was on the front foot. Everything was was really positive. Um, we were second in the championship when then Peter Jackson was there. And I got on great to start with Peter. But then there was a clash of personalities, whether, whether it was his ego or my ego, probably a bit of both. You know, and we just clashed. And there was only one way it was going to go. And I, you know, I had to move on. Um, but I was gutted because I loved the club the same as I did at Blackpool. You know, um, they looked after me, and the fans were great with me. Um, but again, you know, you just move on overnight. Literally, get a phone call: Manchester City want you on loan. I went there in the October. Um, it became permanent, you know, because there was no way back to Huddersfield. I was never going to go back. And um, a couple of weeks after, I signed for them permanently. Joe asked me to be the captain, took over the captaincy. Um, and then we went on the most incredible run, you know, and um, I got myself really, really fit. I'm sure you're, if you've read my book, you'll, I'm sure you'll, uh, you'll have seen that, you know, I, I put the drink down in, in um, February, 99. Uh, the February, the second was my last drink of alcohol, 99, which is coming up for 25 years. Um, you'll know yourself how that affected my career at Blackpool. Um, everything, Everything that you'd want from a player in training and in football is what I was. Everything you don't want from a footballer away from football um, and left to your own devices, I was that as well. Um, and that carried on at Huddersfield as well. Um, but then I went to City and I got things right. You know, I, Like I said, I put the drink down, did a lot of work on myself um, and played the best football of my career. You know, um, I got a call up for Scotland um, which again I missed because of my knee and then that never came about again um, but we got promoted that season and then I followed this, the following season uh, we were promoted um, after Blackburn so back to the Premier League so I captained although I only played 13-14 games in the, the second season um, you know I, I captained the club to back-to-back promotions um, and you know you I'm still, I'm still sort of living off that now. You know, I'm still very welcome. I'm still an ambassador now for the club. I do, you know, every game. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a regular attender at um, the supporters' branches, um, and you know, like I say, we we rewrote the history or the direction at that point of the club, which was declining, and it had been for a few years. And we turned the boat around, you know, with an incredible manager, incredible coach in Willie Donaghy, and an, an unbelievable. Um, set of players so similar in the way of the character and the build and the feel good that um, we had at Blackpool you know I don't want to go back over that but even talking about it there now when I think about the success and the characteristics of, of everything that was at the time and the energy at City which went we had the same at Blackpool going into that Bradford game mm. and I still scratch my head at how we managed to mess it up I really do 
um, because we can't did. explain, mate. <laughs> you can't. You can't. You know, and ultimately, I went to Huddersfield, end up captain in Manchester City. Sam went on to be England manager. Nobody knows what the path is. We don't know, do we? Um, but it's still, you can still feel it now when you talk about it. It's just like, how did we lose that game? Do you know, I'm still, <laughs> I'm still there now, the same as what I'm sure you are and all the fans from that oh, time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You, what my, what I feel about because I, I during the boycott I went to watch Man City quite a bit and I've I won't say I've got an affinity with City but I I, I do go. I was actually at the Etihad yesterday because I couldn't get to Nottingham frankly and I went to the Etihad and 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 you know I enjoy going there. But for you, it must be amazing that all this time on that they still celebrate that as a massive part of their history. And I always get the impression that some some other big clubs. Might have just swept but under the carpet, gone. Oh my God, we're in the third tier. We got up. Let's just forget about it. But City fans and the City yeah. club as a whole embrace it almost as much mm-hmm. as it probably as much as they embrace the Aguero moment. And you and you are immortal now, you guys, aren't you? You and Sean yeah, Gosar and Walter it's a great point. Weaver. Yeah, it's a great, it's a, it's a great point you make. And and, and sometimes I I think because there's so much adversity around that time, you know, United are doing the treble. And City are a huge club, but it can't get any worse than what it was at that point. You're in the second division. You know, in 99, when we went up, they've, they've done the treble and they're rewriting the history books. And that's kind of like, we're not going to abandon the ship. We're going to stay here, you know. And I think there's it's a badge of honour in many ways where they'll say, you know, look, we're, we're heading or we're looking to win four Premier League titles on the spin. Mm. The champions of the world, the champions of Europe, and all that. But hey, like we don't forget where we come from, you know. We, we and I and I do think it's a badge of honour as well because okay, things are great. There's been major investment, which every club needs to become successful. But we were there, we were there, you know, in 33, 34,000 every week when they were in the second division. So don't say that um, you know we're glory hunters, whatever, because we were there. So it's something that I think they use as well to remember where they come from. And that causes, that, that, that creates a humbleness in you, I think. You know, um, There's obviously a new generation of fans now who don't know any different than from, you know, the sort of like the last 13. And it will be in, 20, in 10 years' time, it'll be the last sort of 25 years because City are going nowhere. You know, they're only getting better. They're only improving. Yeah. And um, like I say, you know, while Pep's there, you know, there's no way they'll 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 take their foot off the gas. I love died in the Wool City fans because they always think that no matter how good it gets, they're about ten minutes away from a disaster, don't they? <laughs> they're very humble about it. They just think this is going to end soon. We're probably going to blow this. And you like, no, you're not. <laughs> but they yeah, still remember those people. old days. Yeah, ninety nine. You know, I was there in two thousand and twelve with my son. Aguero goal. You know, Aston Villa two 0 down. You know, they've just done it so many times and it's it's kind of like a, like I say, it's a badge of honour really in many ways that, you know, when it doesn't feel like, you know, it can get any worse, City seem to have found a way to, to have turned it round, you know, and now it's different. You know, like I say, you were there yesterday, you've seen the total dominance um, and, the, and what they do every single game now. And you, the relent- you didn't go easy on on them, did you? You still played your first team and then bring on De Bruyne. <laughs> Bruyne and Doku, you know, and uh, yeah. Alan to come back and John Stones, and it really is, you know, a, a, a formidable um, again, and it's a progressive club, and it's not just it's not just on the football; it's in every department of the football club. Yeah. 
you know, every department is the very best and everybody working at the top level, which I feel sometimes they don't get the credit for, um, you know, because of obviously the, the present situation with the charges, you know, it's so easy to, to throw that without seeing the work that everyone's doing at the football club. You can't have success and you can't have continual success without incredible people working at the top of their game. And, and that's what's happening at Manchester City right across the yeah. board. From the match day experience... You're right, Andy. I think I think what they've done what they've done with that area of East Manchester as well that, that was pretty dilapidated. They've literally turned they've regenerated the entire area. Not many football club owners can can say that. They really have transformed that area from nothing to being a world class kind of sporting venue now. And that new arena is yeah. coming on nicely. It's just it is just amazing, isn't it? The whole place is is set up for the next what 50, 60, 100 years. Possibly. Let's hope so. <laughs> yeah. We've got a couple of more um, questions. We, um, we just want to talk to you about your, your modern day coaching creed. Obviously, mentioned Preecy and, um, and Northwich and a few other clubs as well. But what 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 is current day Andy Morrison up to now? Is well, I was about to say, yeah, Andy Morrison. I had um, I had seven good years in the Welsh system. Um, I did my A license and then I did my pro license. I did my pro license with Thierry Henry, Arteta. Freddie Lundberg, Pep Linders, who's at Liverpool. So, you know, we had kind of like an incredible group who I learned so much from in that time. And then when, you know, when everything that I could achieve in the Welsh system, I did, you know, we won all the cups, got to the Scottish Cup final. And we were a club that were invited there and we got to the final of that and lost in Inverness to Ross County. Um, Champions League football. So I've managed in the in the Europa Conference, the Europa League. I've managed in the you know the Champions League, um, in the Welsh system. Won the titles, um, and then needed something different. So I finished, um, and then I went and visited. I think I visited in the end about nine clubs, whether it was football league, championship, or Premier League, to see how they're doing things. And then an opportunity came out of the blue. Um, you know, when I was really feeling like I'd been out six months, I was feeling like I, I wanted to get back in um, and looking at opportunities. And um, and I got a phone call from from Tim Cahill in, in Qatar and saying that, you know, as one of the World Cup legacy movements, they, they, they wanted to invest in the lower countries that were ranked in the world. And was I interested in taking a role? Um, I went across, I had a look at things and, you know, it was an incredible eye-opener really about what I was let myself into but the vision and the idea was phenomenal um, about where we could go that's been a tough journey because obviously um, you know there was a lot of unrest in the country um, there was you know an uprising there where you know the country literally sh shut down for four months we then had the um, FIFA ban where the country was banned for eight months so we just got going again really Um sort of September time this year. Um, but there's a there's a lot of good things happening. Um, you know, and um, I'm working with a lot of good people. You know, we've located in the region of 15, maybe 18 players that are playing worldwide at a decent level um, because there's no domestic league in Sri Lanka for the local players. There's 22 million people, but there's no domestic league. So that's yeah. something, you know, the grassroots football and the pathway right through something that we're working on really hard to get this domestic league going um, and setting that up, putting the infrastructure in place. There's a lot of work going on, which, you, you know, it might be 
a year, five years, maybe even 10 years before we start to see the fruits of the labour. But there's a lot of work being put in. And, you know, I, I've managed to manage now in um, in the Asia qualifiers and, and World Cup qualifiers this year. You know, so what I, I often think, you know, about my football and how my career was and, you know, and where I played and, and how it was. And then I, my coaching and where I'm at now, like, you know, when it's as a footballer, I, I, I tried to make the best of what I had. Um, you know, I was as a youngster, I was, you know, I'm built wrong for football. I'm too slow. You're never going to be, you know, be a footballer. And, you know, I, I managed to play in the Premier League for two different teams and have the career that I had. And then management was very similar. You know, you're, you're not articulate enough. You know, you're too much of a hothead. You're this, you're that. But I defined my pathway, like, you know, and like I say, you know, Conference League, Europa League, Champions League, World Cup qualifiers, you know. So I've, been, I've tried to be the best version of me and I'm still doing that on a daily basis, trying to be the best version of me and take me wherever that's meant to be. Um, you know, and uh, I'm really excited about the, you know, the opportunity I've been given. And I, and I and I think I think we've got a real chance. We're two hundred and fourth in the world out of two hundred and eight, you know. But I think we'll be up around one fifty within eighteen months to two years. I really do. In that kind of attitude and that determination, then there's absolutely no reason why you can't. Mm-hmm. Um, couple of uh, social media questions. I mean, and then we're done. Um, I have the first question. Ages ago, you mentioned you hated the ice baths. Uh, thank you, Mr. Allardyce. But what on earth are you doing now, swooning in the sea? Because <laughs> that looks absolutely Baltic. <laughs> I started a couple of years ago. Um, <laughs> and all, all it was, lads, was it's gaining more control over my mind. See, now people say, oh, Andy Morrison's tough. You know, he's you know he's the kind of person, if you were to mention somebody that would go into ice water, it would be, and it's not, it's, it's, I'm anything but that. I don't, I reluctantly put deodorant on my armpits because it's cold, you know, but <laughs> I, I work really hard on my mind and it's about, you know, overcoming that fear and overcoming the nonsense and the excuses not to go in. Um, and I really enjoy it, you know, and, and, and the benefits from it are remarkable. So, as you said, for somebody that didn't want to get into an ice bath and refused to get into them, to now to three or four times. I'm in the, I'm in the far, far north of Scotland now, um, and it's about four degrees the water, and it's actually frozen. I'll put a video on tomorrow, but I'm yeah. going to get into a frozen lock tomorrow. I'm going to have five or six minutes in that because I've been waiting for somewhere that's been frozen so I can break the ice to get in. Um, and it is fabulous. If you haven't tried it, lads, you must try it. It's magical. I've done an ice bath, but I've definitely not seen swimming at this, that, that sort of, uh, but yeah, maybe one day. Um, I've uh, got a couple of questions. Um, obviously, other than the admiration and the thanks Black Blackpool fans have given you, I've got a really random one, um, and I'll start with the simple one first. So, um, Hartford Seasider has asked, um, do you remember your disallowed goal at Oxford in the 1-0 loss? Uh, no. Not clearly. I can remember a lot more about that game, to be perfectly honest. But the, the, I think the week leading up to it was, um, yeah, we went there, we battered them. Was it Joey Beauchamp? Joey Beauchamp scored from the yeah. You know, we, we, so we, yeah, oh, listen, we could, we could spend another hour talking about the week <laughs> to that game, um, which was, again, was, was a reflection of what I spoke about earlier on and the way I lived away from football. Um, but, you know, I was the, I was the captain. Um, and Eric Nixon was behind me going onto the pitch, and we got a couple of real comments from um, from the Oxford players that knew us because you know I looked like I'd been in 
been in a boxing ring with Mike Tyson at the time and Eric looked very similar. Um, and going into that game, we were under massive pressure, but we, we played so well. I played so well on the day, you know, dominated the game and we just couldn't score. You know, that was one of the games that was leading towards the promotion, wasn't it? It was a Peterborough yeah. away. It was another one. They're starting to come back to me now. I think we might have lost at Peterborough, but I think the teams around us lost as well on that night. It was a midweek game. Um, yeah. And, um, yeah, it's amazing how this starts to come back when you mention it. But I can't remember. Did I have a go? Oh, yes, I did. Oh, no, that was oh, it was Bradford, was it? Sam sent a complaint in that at a header and it was disallowed for a foul or something in the box. But I don't remember the Oxford one, no. Fair enough. And the uh, the, the last question, um, <laughs> it might be a random one, might have some unlock some memories, but um, Jez um, on one of the message boards said, ask him about the, his mini Metro he lost the keys for as I was drafted into the club to fit a new lock and, um, and get him back on the road. Uh, he was a great character and a great guy too. He spoke to many City fans over the last 25 years and like himself, he idolised him when he played for the pool. So... Remind me again. So I had a mini, I had a mini metro. See, we were. Yeah, he we were, you lost the keys for it, and he was drafted in by the club to to fit you a new set, and then get you back on the road. Apparently, <laughs> I, I don't remember it, but um, you know, if uh, I'm quite happy to claim that I was driving a mini metro, uh, <laughs> that's a reflection of where we were. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, that's all the questions we have for you, Matt. I don't know if you have any anything to say, um, but it's been an absolute honour. I know Martin, and more so um, from whose time supporting Blackpool during that time, um, is very thankful as well. No, that's listen. Thanks for for bringing me on, and you know, and um, like I said, a fantastic, fantastic time, and built an incredible relationship with with the Blackpool fans. And um, you know, and it's not this. There's no regrets because you know it was part of the journey, and that was part of the football club's journey. The football club of Blackpool, you know, it's been going over a hundred years, you know, and it's all part of the journey. It's just part of the time. Everything moves on, you know. And uh, if I could, if one thing comes to me now is I could ask you one question: How did we lose that game against Blackpool? <laughs> <laughs> What, what? How did it go so wrong? I'll, start, I'll wake up in the morning tomorrow and I'm telling you, I'll be thinking, how did we lose that? You're going to text me saying, I hate you now. <laughs> yeah. oh, no. You might have an uh, epiphany when, you're in the, when you jump into that water tomorrow and go, oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Martin, I don't know if you had anything to say, mate. Well, look, we've been to the Premier League and back since then and we still ask the question, how did we lose to Bradford in May 1996? <laughs> Yeah, Do you know, uh, the, 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 sorry, the away leg, just before I got on the coach to go to the away leg, I got I got pooed on by a seagull. And, it, and my mum said, oh, that's really good luck. And of course, <laughs> we won 2-0. And I was and I was praying for a seagull to drop drop one on me for the home leg because I needed it. But um, no, Andy, in all seriousness, um, it's really lovely to, to meet you, at least virtually, and have a chat with you. And, and you were, like I say, that, that team, I still have a hell of a lot of affection for it. And most Blackpool fans do as well. It's just the ending went sour. But you know what? You, get, you, you gave us an awful lot of pleasure in a tangerine shirt. And, uh, you know, I wish you all the best. And, and it's, it's just great to see you doing well. And and, um, and i also just like to touch on, you said um, that you've been, I hope you don't mind me repeating it, but you said you've been 24 years sober? Yep, yep. I have to yeah. say that is absolutely fantastic. I am so happy to hear that. Uh, that is that is not a that is not a small achievement, Andy. Just absolutely brilliant. No, thank well you. Done. Appreciate it. Well done. Well done. Appreciate it. 
Well, that wraps up uh, today's episode of the It's an Orange podcast with Andy Morrison. We'll be back this week talking to um, ex-Blackpool manager Gary Boyer. Um, that's going to be an interesting chat, and we look forward to looking ahead to Exeter as well. But from everyone at the It's Not Orange podcast, have a good evening. Yeah.